Well, guys, we're going to kick off again very shortly. So if I can encourage you, come in and grab a seat. Get another cup of tea. I'm not sure how many times you're going to need to go to the bathroom. But um, grab another one if you're keen. There's more food floating around. While you're doing that, I just want to remind you that uh, this week culminates with a celebration of a carnival on Saturday where the kids, uh, as part of the Summerfest program, are going to perform. And you can check that out down in the, the hall. Um, there's going to be a barbecue afterwards. So guys, if you want to come to that, I'd encourage you to come along. As we start this next session, um, I'd like to introduce you all to Stuart Formston. So could you make Stuart welcome? <laughs> Stuart, we got you here this morning because we want to talk to you a bit about life. Um, it's a series we run. We've heard a lot about it this week. Um, you've been along. Can you just tell us a bit what you would expect if you were going to be going to life? Yeah, my uh, initial response to going to life was that um, I think I was a little bit apprehensive about going. I wasn't a, a Christian before I went, and I was very apprehensive about going because uh, I thought people were going to try to convince me to become a Christian. Um, what actually happened was I, I went, I, I listened to a couple of pretty intelligent guys talk about some historical fact, um, not just biblical fact, but actual historical stuff that I could tie into things that I knew about the world, and actually able to ask a few questions of these guys, uh, a couple of them that I knew from outside of the church, so I was a bit more comfortable that way. Um, it was a, it was a, it was, for me, it was a bit of a, uh, a watershed moment to be able to actually talk to these guys in an environment that I could ask questions that had been kind of rattling around for a while. Now, when you went, what, what was it like um, when you walked through those doors? Were there people... What, what did you see? What, what did you experience? Uh, I got fed, and that was really good. I got dinner, um, so I think that was, uh, it was a pretty good incentive to keep going back. Um, and, yeah, it, it, was, it wasn't actually easy to walk through those doors. I went with my wife, which made it a little bit more comfortable. But it's interesting that one or two of the people that I met on the first night, uh, I've actually since become very good friends with and actually hang out a lot outside of church as well. So... It introduced me to a whole lot of new people, people that I hadn't known before. Uh, introduced me to some information that I had been seeking, but not necessarily even knew that I was seeking it. And it was, yeah, it was, it was interesting. Now, over the whole series, there's six weeks at life. What was the best part of those six weeks for you? Um, the best part, I think, was... Um, there's an illustration, and if you haven't been, I won't give away too much. There's an illustration which discusses um, how we feel uh, as human beings living in this world that we're working towards our own end goal. And that illustration kind of shows us realistically where we actually are and where we'll kind of end up on our own. And then probably uh, the really good part about it was it gives us a really in good insight into how out of reach that ultimate goal is by our own works and on our own. And you don't, as a, as a human living in this world, living day to day without any concept of, of God in your life, you don't think that it's unattainable. You think that you can do all these things on your own. You think you can achieve great things by your own power, by your own hard work. And uh, to be shown a different point of view was, uh, very, it was a massive eye-opener. 
Thanks, Stuart. Now, if you're interested in life, uh, you can see a little flyer on your table there. It's got details when it's coming up. We're running it in February. Uh, if you're interested and want to let us know, there's a response slip on your table as well. Encourage you to fill that out, uh, put down that you're interested in life uh, and leave that on your table and we'll be in touch with you. But thanks, Stuart, for joining us here this morning. Why don't you thank Stuart? Now, our next speaker this morning is Andrew Hurd. Uh, he's the lead pastor at EV Church, so I'll invite Andrew up now. Uh, please make him welcome. Good morning, Andrew. Good morning. Good to be with you. Do you mind if I ask you some questions? Without yes, notice? I do. You do? Well, I'm going to ask anyway. Yeah, no, go for it. <laughs> so you're talking to us about marriage and family. Yep. I want to know which one of your kids is your favourite. No, that was a joke, was <laughs> <laughs> Normally my kids ask me that question. But, uh, yeah. Tell us a bit about your family. Um, um, uh, so married, married to uh, Kathy. We've been married 30 years. Um, got four kids, uh, boy, girl, boy, girl. How good were we? Yeah, so uh, very clever. Uh, 25, the 25-year-old's married with a little daughter. So they've had a child, which makes me a... Yeah, yeah. So I'm coming to terms with that, that at, at such a young age, I might be regarded as a grandfather. I didn't uh, want to mention that. So yeah, yeah, yeah. So it is quite a shock. Um, and uh, the next one's married. The next one down's married. My daughter's married. She, she came to me the other day, about a month ago, and said, um, oh, Dad, it's our 12-month... Jasper, who's a husband, it, it's our 12-month anniversary. And I said, oh, you've been married for 12 months. She, she said, no, 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 it's 12 months since I met him. <laughs> I'm going... <laughs> what? You only knew this guy for five minutes, you're engaged, you're married. Anyway, there you go, so she's married. Married to this lovely guy, he's a fantastic young man. Um, and the two youngest are still at home, uh, both uni students here. One last thing, what do you do during the week? What does your week look like? I uh, just sit on the beach. Sweet. Drink coffees. Nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very nice. Yeah, no, no, I... Um, uh, well, I... I I'm part of making church happen. Yep. So all the different things that go on about church life, is, I got my head in all of that. Yeah, yeah great. Yeah. Well, I won't leave you uh, any... I, I won't hold you up any longer. Yep. We'll look forward to hearing what you have to say. Okay, cool. Well, it's good to be with you. And um, I want to uh, I, I, just start by talking about a video I saw some time ago, which you can actually chase up yourself. I was... Uh, technology, we haven't been able to pull it off here, but the... Uh, if you Google, everyone knows what Google is, you go on Google, um, uh, white guy uh, convinces people he's a Chinese, six foot five Chinese woman. Uh, so I don't know if you've seen this, but uh, this uh, in America, in a university campus of America, young guy who would have been, um, how, how tall are you, James? Five nine, so short. Someone who's height challenged like uh, James, uh, he goes and interviews people on the campus, uh, this university campus, and he says, what would you say, and he interviews a bunch of people, and he says to each of them, what would you say if I told you I'm a woman? And they go, every single person goes, well, you know, that's, that's a beautiful thing, and if that's how you see yourself, then that's lovely and wonderful. And then he says, what would you say if I'm a Chinese woman? And each of them say, well, you don't look Asian, but you know, if that's how you see yourself. And, so, and he said, what would you say if I'm a Chinese woman who's seven years old? 
And uh, each of them go, well, if you feel seven years old inside, who am I to say you're not? And how can I judge you? And then he says, what would you say if I'm a Chinese woman and uh, seven-year-old and six foot five? One of them, of half a dozen people in the interview, said, I'm not sure that's true. <laughs> but it took that for them to find... And he, he makes this comment, he says, um, it's interesting that I can tell you I'm a woman, I'm Chinese, I'm seven, and you're... You're happy for, but six foot five, I can't be six foot five. I can be a seven-year-old, but I can't be a six foot five, seven. And, and, uh, and one of them goes, yeah, yeah, that's a bit odd, isn't it? Now, what you've got there is a situation in America where there's a whole bunch of things happening that have led to this place where university students won't ever say, no, <laughs> that's not who you are. You're actually, you're a white guy who's five foot eight, who's... 35 or whatever. Now, how has that come about? I suggest to you there's a whole bunch of assumptions that kind of over the years we've taken on as a community. And um, it's shaped the way we think. It's shaped the way we engage with stuff. I'll give you some, um, a bunch of assumptions. Um, you know, one is that there's no such thing as truth. It's just truth is personal. So whatever's true for you is true for you. Um, rights, we've kind of got a view about rights, which means you can be whatever you want to be, that's your right, uh, and no one can say you're wrong. Um, there's assumptions that operate in terms of uh, acceptability and offence and so on. All of these things operate such that we've now got a world that can't actually, can't engage with someone who says they're Chinese when they're actually not. Um, now, those kinds of assumptions operate in the way we think about family. We have gone through a massive, we've gone through a massive uh, readjustment in the last 30, 40 years, 50 years, and it's been driven by a bunch of assumptions that run beneath the surface. Assumptions like um, men and women are the same, the only thing different is a few bits of biology, but we're the same. Okay? There's an assumption that runs through the, through the place. Another assumption is equality equals equivalence. To be truly equal, you must be able to do exactly the same things someone else can do, and if you can't do those same things, you're not equal. That's an assumption that we tend to operate with. Um, we have um, the idea that uh, fatherhood is optional. Uh, it's something that you can separate out and leave off, and so it's not essential. We've got an idea that an assumption that sex is only for pleasure. Sex is about pleasure. Creating a child from sex is not what it is. It's just something different. Now, this is a bunch of things that we have lived with for the last 30, 40, 50 years that have shaped our climate. Now, it makes that... Those assumptions, therefore, make it hard for us to engage in this particular topic I want to talk to you about, which is family. What is family? What is marriage? And I'm going to try and convince you of three things. First thing is this, and we're going to have questions. Is that right? So, yep, yep. Um, so I'm going to be fairly... I think I'm going to be brief. We'll see what happens. Um, the first thing I want to convince you of um, is that a child needs a mother and a father for life and health. So I want to convince you of that, right? That a child needs a mother and a father for life and health. Now, it's odd that I need to convince people of this, but this is what I'm finding these days. I need to convince you that um, a child comes because of a man and a woman coming together. Right? We, we, a man can't produce a child on their own. A woman can't produce a child on their own. You need the two of them. 
We agreed so far? Yeah, that's kind of fairly basic. Um, now, of course, you can use a test tube, um, but still there is something from the man that's required to make all that work. And that's a, uh, that's a kind of an exception. It's, a, it's an extraordinary circumstance that's not... There's something about the humankind, the way a man's designed, a woman's designed, that means they need each other to complete the process of reproduction. Um, and various biological functions between the man and the woman. Now, we're, I think we're all, we're not all married and we don't all have kids, but let me just, you know, there's certain biological pieces that are designed to fit together. All right, well, let's go that far, okay? And it's fairly straightforward and obvious. We need a man and a woman. So a child needs a man and a woman to come together to be produced. But further to that, and this is basic research, the health of a child is firmly enhanced by them remaining with their biological mum and dad. If a child is raised in a context with both their biological mother and their biological father, the impediments to health are reduced significantly. Now, it doesn't guarantee that a child will grow up healthy because they've got their mum and dad, biological mum and dad. But... The, the social research makes quite clear that if you take a child out from uh, its biological father or its biological mother and puts somewhere else, there, there are speed bumps to health. There are further challenges to them growing to be healthy. Not insurmountable at all, um, but you see that just across the population, um, that it is more difficult, there's greater challenges. Now, that's not to judge a mum who's on her own trying to raise the kids because the dad's deserted them. That's not, we, we are, one of the things about church life that we cherish is this wonderful acceptance of each other where we're all at. And uh, we provide a powerful, I, I think, a powerful context for lots of parents who are on their own doing the best they can to raise their kids and we give lots of support. We, we try and, and so I think that's a hugely powerful blessing there um, that we provide. But it is to acknowledge that it is harder. And I don't know any parents, I haven't met any, maybe you can tell me some you know, I haven't met any parents who didn't wish it weren't the way it is. Can you get your head through all the negatives there? So I haven't met many parents, any parents who wanted it to be that they raised their kids on their own because their marriage didn't work. That's not how they wanted it to be. They wished it would be otherwise, but circumstances didn't actually allow and so on and so forth. So, it, 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 for the health of a child, for the existence of a child, you need a mum and a dad. For the health, best chance health of that child, they need the, to be raised by the biological mum, biological dad is quite powerful. Now, at this point, what I'm saying to you is not religious. None of this is a religious discussion so far. You can add in God... Uh, not, not as if you add him, but let me add an insight that I think comes from the Bible, which is that reality of man, woman needed to produce a child and its health determined by being with a, the biological mum and dad in loving, stable union, that I believe God intended. Um, our experience of that being the case is so... Because God, I believe, wanted it to be so. You see, you think about reproduction. There's lots of ways you can reproduce offspring in the animal kingdom. 
I love this story about the worm. There's a kind of worm that can produce offspring by just breaking a bit of itself off. There's another worm. And you just imagine that, if, if humans could do that, you could just kind of do your nails one day and there's another couple of kids, you know, just lopped off. Now that'd be kind of easy, wouldn't it? It'd be kind of cool. But that's not how we do it. We do it by a man and a woman coming together in intimate, loving union. It's interesting how we don't call it making love much anymore, we call it sex. God intended to be a loving union that would produce a child in the context of a loving, stable relationship. That's God's intention. And we see it actually working out as the best thing. Um, now, there's a few things that follow from that observation, if I'm right, that a child needs a mum and a dad for life and health. A few things follow. The first one is this, that the health of society is... It, it, um, is dependent on men and women coming together in loving union and caring for their child, biological mum and dad, together. Our society needs that to be the case for its own health. Because if, if the best way a child can be raised to be a responsible, giving, um, balanced human who's able to support those around them and be a help to society, if that if, if the best way for that to happen is by having mum and dad together loving them, then we need as a society to actually care about that union between a man and a woman, that they stay united and that they stay in loving union and that they're actually a healthy relationship for the sake of all of us. You, you with me? If we don't encourage men and women to come together, we won't have kids. If we don't encourage men and women to stay together in loving union, we won't have healthy kids. You got it? So... It matters to society that we have that occur. Um, now, this is not to suggest, of course, that staying in loving union is easy. Um, well, you know, look, the last time I had a fight with my wife, gee, three days ago. It's, yeah, it's not easy, is it? Uh, those of you who are married, it's kind of, there are stresses and strains you've got to work through and... Um, uh, being helped and encouraged to pers persevere in that relationship is powerfully good. And we want to encourage that. Now, the reason as a community over the history of humanity, we, we have noted that, those connections, the importance for our ongoing health, that we have kids born to us and that they be raised in loving, stable relationships. We've noted that and so we've... We've privileged one particular relationship. There's all kinds of relationships happening in communities, friendships, partnerships, romantic things. There's all kinds of different relationships. But there's one that community desperately needs to be good. It's the coming together of a man and woman to produce a child and love and care for them to grow up to be healthy. That relationship matters to our society more than any other relationship. Now, we've called that relationship marriage. And we've provided certain things around it to protect it and give it its best chance to be healthy across the whole spectrum of society because it matters so much to us. There's the first thing. A child needs a mother and a father for life and health. Second thing. The way we think about marriage today is new. It's new. It's very different. Um, 
In the last 40 years, we've had quite a revolution in the way we think about marriage. If I was to ask someone, you know, down at the peninsula, uh, down at um, Yamina here and say, what do you think marriage is? Um, I'm almost... In fact, let's just do this. You, at your tables, let's, we can do this. Share, what do you think that person would say at your table? Go for it. Take a second. And if you're on, just talk to yourself. <laughs> I think they'd say... Quickly, go for it. What do you think they'd say? All right, that'll do. We only need a couple of seconds. What do you think, they, what do you think a person at Umina would say uh, marriage is? This is not what you think. What do you think someone else would say? A, it's a piece of paper. Two loving people coming together. Partnership. There you go. That's, is that basically... I, th- I think that's probably right. I think... Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and, and that follows from that definition. See, if the, I ask a person today what they think marriage is, and the answer will be marriage is the public affirmation... Bit of paper the public affirmation of the romantic love two people have for one another. Now, if that's the definition of marriage, then it's a matter of integrity that I only stay in that union while I love the person. Why? Because the definition of marriage is the romantic affirmation of two people's love for one another, or the affirmation of the romantic love... And if I don't love them anymore, why am I in marriage? Because that's what marriage is, my romantic affection. And if I cease to have it, then it's a matter of integrity that I find someone that I can actually have that with to be truly married to them. Because this is no longer a true marriage, because marriage is romantic affection for one another. If I don't have it, it's gone. Do you see how those things follow? Now, isn't that exactly the, isn't that the narrative for the last 30 years? Um, I, couldn't, I couldn't live in this relationship because I no longer love them anymore and I couldn't be true to myself because that would be denying who I am and what marriage is now that thinking's new it's been around the last 30 40 50 years and I think you can blame yeah yeah Hollywood for it I think we can blame Hollywood for it Um, I tell you how how traditionally historically marriage has been thought of it's been thought of as the particular full union of a man and a woman who complete themselves in sexual intercourse for the sake of children that's marriage that's how marriage is it's been a a loving faithful union of a man and woman who complete themselves for the sake of children and raising children and nurturing children if all you want to do is actually love someone, why do you need to get married? Just go and shack up. But if you want to come together in a loving, faithful union for the sake of children, then we need to actually help you make that really work and stay working and be stuck together for the sake of the kids for the good order of society. Okay? We've got a very different view of marriage today. Uh, it's changed profoundly. I'm calling the new view the romantic affirmation view. The romantic affirmation view. Now, notice what I've done here. I've not talked about homosexual marriage at all. 
not made any comments about same-sex marriage. You with me? Just talking about where we're at at present. Let me now give you the third thing. If same-sex marriage comes in as law, it will impact all of us. It'll impact all of us. This is the third thing I want to persuade you of. Um, the only reason we are even thinking about same-sex marriage is because we've got a new view of marriage, which that it's, it's simply a romantic attachment to someone I love. It's the public affirmation of romantic feelings. Now, if that's what marriage is, just the romantic affirmation of the romantic love one person has for another, why only have it for men and women? It really is quite bizarre. If that's what marriage is, that it's just the public affirmation of the romantic love two people have for one another, it's unfair to make that simply for men and women. should be for everybody, men and men, women and women, anyone. We're only thinking same-sex marriage is a possibility because we've got that new view of marriage. You with me so far? The problem's this. The romantic attachment view of marriage is, doesn't create strong marriages. It creates inherently weak marriages that are not able to sustain the ups and downs of life. Because as we mentioned earlier, if I marry a person because it's about me loving someone, being affectionate, romantically attached to someone, and that ceases, then my marriage no longer makes sense. Now, if any of you have been married longer than six months, is it luminescence? What is, it? What is that word? There's a particular chemical thing that happens in the early days of a relationship. I think it's called luminescence or something, isn't it? Someone? <laughs> Craig doesn't know. <laughs> Um, he's just never lost it. It's been there all the time. It's, uh, <laughs> it, it's this kind of, it's that kind of um, endorphin, it's that kind of excitement you have, you know, wondering about thinking. When they ring, I just drop everything to talk to them. That lasts about six months. Yeah? And then it kind of, you get into the humdrum and you, and look, he does, he leaves his clothes on the thing and she does that with the toilet seat and I don't know what, it, and you know, you kind of, and you just bear with, after about 12 months, 18 months, two years, I just got to work with this person who smells. <laughs> I met this young girl, she's married for six months, and I said, how's it going? She said, I had no idea men smelt as much. <laughs> now, she's got to learn to deal with that, yeah? And um, now, romantic attachment view of marriage isn't strong enough, it's not a strong enough glue to hold it together. The traditional old view of marriage, which is that I'm committed to love and faithfulness for the sake of the union we create and the children that come for their good health and the order of society, that's a strong bond. Because what I strive for is faithful, loving faithfulness of another person through their ups and downs, loving, not romance. Okay? Now, um, same-sex marriage is only being discussed because we have this new view, which is a weak view of marriage. If same-sex marriage becomes law... It won't just change what a small percentage of the population do. I think most of us imagine that if same-sex marriage comes in, it kind of goes, look, there's, there's only 2% of the population identifies as gay. You do know that. It's not very big. It's a 2% population. Um, 1.7, I think, of men and 0.8% of women identify as gay. Um, 
There'll be a very small percentage of those who want marriage, 0.35%, something like this. So most of us kind of go, look, ah, look let them have it. It's, not, it's, it's a small group, and what's, it, what's the big deal? Well, here's the deal. If we put into law same-sex marriage, what we legislate is the new view of marriage as the view of marriage. What we do is we build into our legislation that marriage is romantic affirmation of romantic love for one another, which will make it even harder to teach 20-year-olds a different view of marriage, which means that we will have built into the very fabric of our structures a view of marriage that is weak, and every young person who gets married will now be taught that is the way to think about marriage and will necessarily move into marriage with a weaker foundation, which will weaken our families, weaken our children. Now, is it the end of the world? No. Because you've got people who will continue to pursue... It's interesting, when couples get kids, something changes for you, doesn't it? So reality will keep pressing forward, but there will be a clash between reality, the love we have for this child, which means we'll do whatever we need to do for the good health of this child. That will clash against the law, and it will mean those of us who want to teach a, 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 a proper view of marriage will be against the law. And that's already happening at present. We've um, already identified one of our pastors that um, needs to speak loudly about this and go to prison. Craig. I'm keen for him to do it, so he's going to be the guy who, who, who makes the big noise and we... <laughs> no, 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 no. Um, so what do we do in all of this? Uh, I'll tell you what we do. Um, start, to, start to get past Hollywood and see that marriage isn't about my romantic attachment. Marriage is actually my loving faithfulness to my spouse for the sake of my kids and the good order of society. Learn to love faithfully is what we need to do. Let me add the Bible in again. Do you know why marriage is like that? Because God is lovingly faithful to us. And he wants us to see in one human institution what he's like. The God who bears with, walks with, is faithful to, stands by through thick and thin because of the merits of Jesus. Um, it's a beautiful picture God intends for us. But let me stop there, see if there's any questions. Guys, if you have questions, oh, up the back, I'll bring the mic around. This is very personal, but you, you shared the information. So what kind of advice do you give to... A daughter who says, Dad, I'm getting married and I've known him for how long? <laughs> Six minutes. Yeah. Yeah. About marriage. Yeah, it's good. What do you do? Uh, if my kids have a clear view of marriage that it's about loving faithfulness and not romantic attachment, I'm less concerned. Because whichever person they marry, unless the guy is a complete dropkick, is, you know, unless the guy is secretly abusive and carries such emotional baggage that he'll be terribly destructive. If, if, he's, if he's a normal guy um, who shares the same conviction about marriage being loving, faithfulness and sacrifice for the sake of the other, 
they'll make it work. They'll make it work. So I'm, I'm, as long as my, my concern for my kids is that you do realise that marriage is hard work and you do realise you won't feel much love for this guy in 12 months' time and you'll be stuck with him for life. You'll need to make it work. Now, my, my problem is, of course, um, are they old enough when, to be able to say yes to that with meaning? You know, can a 16-year-old truly say yes and I know that and understand that? So I want to push them out far enough so that I've got, as far as I'm able to control a child, I mean, you know, I want to encourage them to see there's realities here you need to bear in mind. I want you to be mature enough to know the decision you're coming into as best you're able, because most of us went into marriage not with stars in our eyes. Um, and so, but, you know, with, with good foundations, um, good, good awareness of what life, people will make it work. Because I don't have a view that marriage is finding my soulmate. I'm not fussed that they will wake up in 12 months' time and go, this is not the guy I thought he was. Yeah. Neither's your mother. The guy you thought she was. <laughs> so, yeah. There's the theory. What do you do as a dad, though? Wow. So, um... I've been doing a lot of looking personally at this issue over the last 12 months anyway, a lot of reading and, and that sort of thing. So I'm, I'm on a lot of the same pages with you. Um, but I'm just wondering, so you were talking about this, this shift of what has been traditional marriage into this change to romantic affirmation. And I'm just wondering, so looking over time, I mean, there was a time when the view of marriage, um, whilst it was for producing an heir and that sort of thing, it was also women viewed as property and, you know, and that sort of thing. So we, we have had, like over the course of human history, a huge, I think, a shift in the way that things are being done. And I could hear a lot of my friends, you know, arguing back, well, look, it's changed over time. Why is this necessarily a bad change? So you've got 2% of, you know, people who identify as homosexual. You've got how many percentage of us, I don't know, who identify as Christian. We're trying to teach our, you know, certainly our generation, our kids, this view of marriage. But then to extend that beyond, is, is, that, is that change in law, even if it doesn't change in law, will that actually influence the ability of um, us, of people, to be taught a different view of marriage when this romantic affirmation view is so prevalent? Yep, yep, Sorry, yep, yep. that was yep. very long-winded. Yeah, it's good. That's a good question. The um, uh, marriage has always been, as I've expressed it, with, um, with slight leanings down through history. It's not as if it's been different at different... So that's the rhetoric you'll get, is that marriage has changed in incredible ways. You know, it used to be this, it used to be that. No, no, no. Marriage has always been about the coming together of a man and a woman in a sexual union for the sake of children. It's always been that with slight leanings. You know, um, so in a, in a context where, uh, in pagan society... Get this, in pagan society where women were regarded as chattel, property. Um, in, in the elite, much more was made of 
the, the dimension of the husband's um, leadership or ownership of the woman, but it was to come together in a sexual union for the sake of kids, still, you see. Um, uh, so the, the, the changes haven't been as profound as people have made them out to be, is the first thing. Um, the second thing is, uh, yes, what do you do with a secular society that says, look, I don't care that it was always the same? Even though, okay, let's allow that it hasn't changed much, it's just had leanings. I don't care. We, we can, we, we're people, we can make up whatever we want it to be. Now, into that climate, I'd say two things. The first is, um, uh, you are, you're about to engage in a massive social experiment. You are about to change a profound piece of human relationship. Are you sure you know what's going to happen in the next 40 years from that change? Um, that is a big thing to do. You know, if we, if we were going to build a dam in the Franklin River, you know, we'd do, we'd do 20 years of research to make sure it doesn't have an unintended consequence. I'm interested how quickly, headlong, our society is determined to run into this change of the whole human shape without much research. Or very biased research. It's interesting, most of the research, all of the research at present um, that's pursuing the same-sex marriage thing is self-reported. So you need to dig into this stuff and find out that what's happening is that um, there's not many same-sex marriage relationships that have kids in the world. It's just not a big population. So you've got a small population base and the way the research is, how's the family going, what's happening with the kids? Mum and mum, and mum, tell us. Is your kid going well? Yeah, really well. All right. So those self-reported results are then being compared with the whole body of heterosexual marriage from dysfunctional through to right functional. So what you've got is a very motivated small group of people self-reporting on how their family's going with kids and then it's compared to everyone heterosexual. That's a little skewed, don't you think? Um, so you've got social experiment, first thing I'd say. I just, wow, take, take a moment. Just, this is going to change the whole world. Let's pause on this one for a moment and do some... Second thing I'd say um, is that we, we actually do have good reasons to believe the Bible is not just a mythical legend, but really is a word from the Creator. And good reasons for that, of course, are the historicity of Jesus, who he is, what he did, what he came to, to say and so forth. The historicity there is founded very firmly. So we can go to the scriptures and see what the Bible has to say about human life and relationship and how it functions. Um, we, we don't need to puzzle and wonder. And Jesus is very clear that God made them male and female, Matthew chapter 5, Matthew chapter 19, God made them male and female for this reason, they'll leave their father and mother become one flesh, become one flesh, in a sexual union, in an emotional union, and in the giving birth to a child who belongs to both of them, who further unites them into this profound, comprehensive union. The Bible has a very rich sense of what marriage is, that profound relationship, yeah. So there's two things I would say. I want to have one more question if anyone... <coughs> yep, Stu. You mentioned before, you, during the week, you spend a lot of time sitting on the beach and obviously you have time to contemplate these matters, um, or, which I know is not the case. What, what is being done from, our, from a, a church point of view 
um, to kind of to push into this matter and, and to try to bring a balanced argument to it. Yeah. Look, um, one of the things... Now, I don't know whether you come to church or not, so I don't know all of you. And um, one of the things is that every person in Australia is a member of a democracy, Christian, Islamic, secularist, whatever you are. You're all members of a... We're all together in this country and we all have the responsibility to care about what the future of our country is in terms of the way that society functions and works. And so Christians likewise have a responsibility to think into these things and express their opinion in the public realm. Um, now, so, so what are we, what, you know, what are those of us who are followers of Jesus doing about it? Well, I want us to be thinking hard about what you know, is the case, is what I've argued true or right, is the concern valid? And if it is, then um, we have democratic processes where you can express your opinion, um, which I do. So I, I've connected with our local member and I've written to parliamentarians and as I hope all of you do, whether you're church, Christian, whatever you, I hope you're all engaged like that. Um, yeah, so we need, to be, we need to be doing that. Well, thank you, Andrew. We, uh, oh, we had an, uh, one more question. Sorry, this is a sneaky last one. But you made a, a little joke earlier, but I wondered whether there was some seriousness in it when you said, well, you know what, Craig can just go to jail for that. But I wondered, do, is there a sense in which you're concerned that this issue, as Christians speak up about it, um, thoughtfully, kindly, wisely, that actually there would be um, legislation that could cause Christians in a country like Australia to go to jail as they express an opinion, and totally. particularly ministers. Totally. Yeah, and it, 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 and it, why particularly ministers? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'll, I'll give you a quick illustration. Um, yeah, I mean, you look at other countries. So uh, England, uh, UK has had same-sex marriage in for some time, and, um, and friends who are working in... You know, I spend a bit of time in the UK, and the guys there... So if, if anyone in the public service sector who expresses an opinion that's contrary to same-sex marriage um, uh, will have action taken against them, even if it's a private opinion expressed outside of the work context. That, that's quite an extraordinary context. Here, let me tell you what's happened here. So we have a number of churches around the Central Coast, as you know, and around the country now, and um, the church north of us at Berkeley Vale... Uh, they meet in the local high school hall, like we do here, and they simply, in a sermon, they were going through the book of Leviticus, and in a sermon they read a couple of the verses that talk about homosexuality. They didn't preach on them, they read them, and they talked about the love of Jesus and so much else of God's grace and so on. But someone picked that up, uh, sent the quotes through to the principal, and said, this is breaching public school policy, you ought to not allow this in your school grounds. SBS picked it up as an article and said the title was Gay Hate Speech in Local Schools. Now, now, the, the church responded by saying, we just read a part of the Bible, we didn't actually hate anyone, we just sit, you know, um, and how is this breaching public? Well, the school then reviewed it and said, no, it's upheld and you are not, if you're ever going to talk about that area again, you must get permission from us to be able to do it. 
we will review what you say. And um, now they uh, have pushed back further and it's gone up to the next level of uh, government. And there's been a letter sent from that next level to the church saying the complaint has been upheld. You were in breach of public school policy against the policy of fairness. And here's how they described it. They said, um, any speech that is against those things that are not illegal... You just follow the... If you speak against something that our community is, is, is not illegal, that is still legal, then you're in breach of the fairness policy and you, you'll lose your ability to rent our public facilities. And they gave three examples. I said, if you speak against homosexuality, because the community says that's not illegal anymore, and if you speak against it, you'll be breaching fairness policy. Um, if you speak against sex outside of marriage, you're in breach of fairness policies and you'll be removed from the school. And if you speak against single mothers, <laughs> as if we ever would. Mary was a single mum for a long time. <laughs> you know, it's kind of, it's kind of, but what you've got there is the beginning edge. Now, what do you do as a church when you've got a... If same-sex marriage comes in, I will necessarily keep saying what I believe the Bible's teaching on this for the good health of society. So what does a community have to do? It will have to enforce its law and prosecute those who go against the law. Now, they prosecute by fining. I'm not going to pay a fine because I'm not going to acknowledge my guilt in this area. I'm going to continue to speak. So what's the next step? Craig gets sentenced to prison. <laughs> yeah, this is not this is not fairy tale stuff. This is this is what's happening at the moment. But I don't want to let that be the issue. I don't think the prison thing is the issue. I, I I think it's health. It's the good order and health of our society. And ultimately, it's actually it's knowing a God who wants us to see His love displayed in loving faithfulness, not romance, but loving faithfulness. Is where the real thing. Is. Now, Andrew, just I've got one quick question. Um, so, is there an appropriate um, societal recognition for homosexual love. You might say there's 2% of the population who express themselves that way. Yeah. Is your argument that that should be outlawed Oh, good, entirely, good, good, good question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, in a secular society, um, I don't require everyone to live by my morals. So I, I think it's wrong to get drunk. But I don't insist that there's a law that says everyone who gets drunk goes to prison. You know, um, uh, so I'm quite, I'm very happy that our society has now put, changed legislation in the last 15 years or so to give uh, almost in, entire equal rights to same-sex partners. I think as a secular society that's entirely appropriate and good because it, it, it's not a Christian society, I don't run it, it's not a Christian society, it's a secular society. And so I think that's entirely good um, and appropriate. Um, now, I don't think, it, I think it's... People say it's in exactly the same rights for same-sex couples. I don't think it's exactly the same. I think there are some um, visitation inheritance rights that are more complex for same-sex couples. Um, but I think fixing that up would be healthy and good. Yeah. Thank you very much, Andrew. Why don't you thank yep. him?